0: Hello, and thanks for joining us for the Education Doctor Radio Show. I'm your host, Dr. Pamela Ellis. The Education Doctor Radio Show is your family source for educational excellence. Our program is brought to you by Compass Education Strategies. We're on the principal consultant, and our mantra is access, thrive, graduate. You can learn more about our firm at compasseducationstrategies.com. Thanks to everyone who is listening to our show today. We appreciate you taking the time to listen in. If you're listening to a podcast of this program, we also want to thank you for joining us. For future show updates and ongoing relevant education news, please join our Facebook community by searching for The Education Doctor, then clicking Like. You can find us on Twitter at The Education Doc, and we're also on Foursquare where you can see our tips to prep schools, colleges, and graduate schools around the country. We have a great show lined up for you today. Our previous programs have covered a range of topics related to education options like summer programs, gap year programs, boarding schools, and types of colleges. We've discussed standardized testing and, of course, specifics on college admissions. Our topic today is somewhat different but very much related to all the discussions we've had on previous shows. We're discussing stress. And if you're wondering what does stress have to do with education, I'll sum it up in three words, a great deal. It has a great deal to do with it. Stress among students starts as early as third grade. In my consulting practice with families, the stress among college-bound students and their parents is palpable. I follow the research on student stress so that I can know best how to support families without adding to the stress that they're already experiencing. Our guest today is a former undergraduate classmate of mine at Stanford, and just as an aside, when I talk with college-bound students about the size of a campus that interests them, many of them will say that they want a campus where they feel that they don't know everybody in their class. That certainly describes what my class at Stanford was like, because I didn't meet our guest until many years later when I returned to Stanford for my doctorate program, and she had joined the faculty. So joining us today is Dr. Denise Pope, who co-founded Challenge Success at Stanford University. She is the author of Doing School. It's subtitled, How We Are Creating a Generation of Stressed Out, Materialistic, and Miseducated Students. The title Says a lot, and she has a lot to share with us about it. She will share a great deal about stress among students and some practical guidance for parents as they seek to balance stress in academic achievement. Before we start, I want to make sure that our listeners have our contact information. Our email address is radio at compasseducationstrategies dot com. If you'd like to submit a question that way, and As I become a bit more adept at managing the studio controls, I'll be able to chat in real time with questions, but not just yet. So the other way that you can ask a question or join the conversation is to call in directly to our switchboard, which is 714-333-3356. Our switchboard is located in sunny Southern California, but I am broadcasting live. From Dayton, Ohio, and Denise is joining us from Palo Alto, California. I have been in California for the past week, and I took a red-eye flight back to Ohio this week. Every time I take a red-eye, I tell myself that it's the last time, and so I am still recovering from that flight. So maybe this time next week, I'll be adjusted, but I know that I'm here today, and I'm ready for a great show right after this break i am back now on the education doctor radio show to talk with denise pope of challenge success at stanford university denise are you there on the line with us now
1: i am here thanks for having me
0: oh great well thank you so much for joining us how are you doing today
1: Great! It's a beautiful sunny day, and uh, all three of my kids are back in
0: school. <laughs> so we're oh doing my well. goodness! Isn't that the best time? <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's why productive. I do this show it early in the day. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: that is yeah.
0: great. So you so you have three children?
1: I do. I have a child in high school, a child in middle school, and a child currently in elementary school.
0: Oh my goodness! Just like me. So you feel my pain. I do. I do. <laughs> so, Denise, let's get started. I, I want to tell you thanks again for joining the show. We appreciate your time. But let's get started by just telling us a little bit about what led you to this whole topic about student stress among students.
1: Well, actually, before I had kids, I was interested in this topic because my doctoral dissertation at Stanford had me shadowing uh, five high school students for a school year, and I was looking for what was working. I went to a great high school, a public high school that had a great reputation, and I was doing a um, research on what was really getting kids excited and engaged with learning, and what I found was at this great high school with these super kids, they really weren't getting as engaged in learning as I was hoped. They spent a lot of time stressed out, a lot of time trying to balance the workload, doing things like cheating, uh, cutting corners. And it hit me right then, um, even though I had been a teacher for several years before that, that even the best and the brightest students at these top schools are having some real health issues, some emotional issues, and some hmm. uh, academic issues. So that's what got me interested in the topic and started this whole thing.
0: Hmm. Wow. Wow. And what were some of the things that students were most stressed about? I mean, was it just getting good grades or in their classes or the testing? What was it exactly that you found?
1: Well. So one thing we did with those five students is we realized that they were stressed about getting the grades, getting into college, getting the test scores that they would need. These were very high-achieving students. And since then, we've done a study with over 7,000 students um, where we've asked them 180 different questions on a survey. And normally what you would see in a typical population several years ago when you said, Mm -hmm. what, if anything, is causing you stress, you would see family issues, you would see bullying, you would see social life, you know, my boyfriend, girlfriend issues. But in our study, that doesn't even come into the top five answers. The top answers are, are always grades, tests, homework, uh, getting into college. So it's really switched to a much more academic stress than we're used to seeing from several years ago.
0: Hmm. Wow. Now, one thing is, have you found any differences along types of schools at all? Like are there trends where you see more stress with independent schools or with public schools or at a certain grade level? What were some of the trends
1: that's a great question. Yeah. So one of the trends is that we see the stress increase as the kids get older, which which probably isn't surprising because school gets a little bit more demanding and usually the extracurricular activities get a little bit more demanding. So that wasn't a huge surprise. What we were surprised about is uh, we surveyed independent schools, private schools, Catholic schools, you know, religious schools, and also public schools all different Mm -hmm. kinds of public schools, big, small uh, schools in wealthy neighborhoods, schools in poorer neighborhoods. And we found that really the stress levels are very similar um, among Mm. the kids in these schools. So, you know, a kid who's taking five AP classes at an elite prep school um, may be very stressed, but we found a kid who's struggling to pass the high school exit exam in their local public school Um, registers the same amount of stress. They feel as stressed uh, about their future and about school as the kid who's taking, you know, five AP classes. That was a surprise for us.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, what about uh, parents? Were parents involved at all in these studies that you did? We haven't done a
1: survey that large of parents, mm-hmm. but we work with parents in Challenge Success. We do some live parent education courses and some online courses are getting started later this fall. And what what they're saying, first of all, they're stressed, right? It's very mm-hmm. stressful to be a parent right now. There's a lot of expectations um, that you need to be a good parent, that you need to be up on all the newest parenting strategies, that your kid needs to be perfect. So there's a lot of parent peer pressure on us poor parents. Um, mm-hmm. And they're they're quite worried, at, you know, and, and the kids are reacting to this worry about, will my child make it to college? Will my child be able to support um, himself when he gets out, you know, Am I doing the right thing by by not signing him up for XYZ activity when everyone else is signed up for that activity? So there's a lot of stress mm-hmm. on parents as well.
0: Yeah. Now Denise, can you go back a bit and tell us a little bit more about challenge success? Sure. So we started
1: the program
0: because
1: of the book that I wrote and the research that I had been doing, and we realized that we wanted to take all this research out there on best practices both for um, school communities, how to get kids engaged in learning, and best practices on how to have healthy, well-adjusted kids. And we wanted to translate that for the schools, for the parents, and for the students. So what we do is we work with all those populations, and we help them create plans for change to improve health and improve engagement with learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so And that takes different shapes. So the schools will come to our annual conferences. They'll send a team of teachers, administrators, parents, and students, and we'll work with them on a very site-specific plan, because every school is different, for some changes mm-hmm. that they might want to try, like coming up with a new homework policy, coming up with a new schedule that maybe makes life a little bit easier on kids and allows you to do more innovative, rigorous kind of teaching. For the parents in our classes, we help them think through, you know, how do you react when a kid brings home a bad grade or how are you going to get your kids to do chores or, you know, like real basic Um, you know, in-the-moment kind of Mm problem-solving. That's what our courses help the parents do. And for the Mm -hmm. kids, obviously, we want them to be more reflective on what are the choices they're making, um, and are they getting enough sleep, and are they making healthy choices for their bodies, that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. Now, does your work at Challenge Success reach colleges and universities as well as the K-12 schools? Well,
1: well, what we do, I just actually led a retreat yesterday for the Stanford Admissions folks. So we do branch mm-hmm. out and give talks about our work to colleges, particularly college admissions. I've talked to college deans and folks who run the college health centers. But our primary mm. focus is on students in the gra- in uh, early pre-K through grade 12.
0: Now, Denise, you mentioned about your retreat yesterday with for admissions, what do you say, I mean, what do you want college admissions officers to know about student stress, especially well, because and, there's so and, much stress around college admissions?
1: And, and they know this. I mean, it, 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 mm-hmm. there's not a college admissions officer out there who doesn't realize that they're part of the stress equation, and they certainly don't want to be but the issue these days is we have more kids than ever who are applying to college which is a good thing right uh mm-hmm. but the system has not really allowed a change in the way that these kids are assessed for the for the colleges to make the decision as who's the best fit So what happens is, let's take a Stanford, for instance. You have, you know, 30,000 applicants. I'm sort of making up that number, but it's around there. It's 32 last year. 32, (laughs) see, so you know that, Pamela. So 32,000, and there's only about 1,600 slots. So 7% of the kids get in. Now, what I said to the Stanford folks yesterday, and they admitted this, I said, how many of the kids who apply, how many of the 30,000 would be absolutely a perfect fit with Stanford? You would love to have them. And they said over half. Over half of those kids would be a great yeah. fit at Stanford, but they can only take 7%. So they know their job is very difficult, and they're trying to make a class. They're trying to figure out, you know, they, they, they can't take 76 trombone players. That's not going to work. So right. um, what what we want the college admissions officers to know is, the message they're sending is you've got to be perfect, you've got to take as many mm-hmm. APs as possible, you've got to do 15 different extracurriculars or you won't get in. But, but that's actually not the message they want to be sending. And when you ask right. them, you know, really, who are you taking? They're taking a, a variety of kids. There's not exactly. one particular way that you can game the system to make sure that your kid gets into mm-hmm. college. And that shouldn't be a scary thing to parents. That should actually be a relief. So what we say is the best advice for the kids and the parents is make sure your child is doing stuff that they love. Make sure they're doing activities Mm -hmm. that they enjoy. Make sure that they are taking courses that they enjoy and are challenging themselves. But in the long run, it's a fit between the kid and the school. And so if they're yep. just doing an extracurricular activity to get into college to add it to their resume, that's not healthy, and that's not even going to work in the long run. Exactly, exactly.
0: I love that. <laughs> You're preaching to the choir, Denise. <laughs> I think so. I figured I would be. <laughs> well, you know, one thing that I recently uh, saw, is one thing that I think um, adds to it, particularly in the spring, is the wait list that yeah. a lot of colleges do. And oftentimes, you know, the question becomes, and I mean, really, how many students ever get off the wait list? And right, I definitely. find that a lot of students are worried about that and feeling like, well, there is still a chance at this school, when oftentimes some schools don't even reach the wait list. And right. so I found it really refreshing when I was visiting a school just last, I think it was Caltech. They've actually they don't have a wait list, and I thought, wow, that's great because wow. it just takes a lot of the pressure off in the spring for students who didn't, you know, who were wait, who could have been waitlisted, feeling like they need to strategize, make calls, and all of that to still get in, when right. their chances really aren't that good. So well, and
1: tricky about the wait, I was just gonna say, the thing that's tricky about the wait list is you have the common application now right so when you and i were applying i don't i I only applied to five schools you know right now it's rare to find someone who only applied to five there are kids who are applying to 14 15 20 schools and they're only going to go to one so what you can imagine is they're getting in. there's a kid who's maybe getting into seven of their schools and everyone on the wait list at those other six schools you know they're everyone's waiting to see what this one kid decides and yeah. that has an effect on the whole rest of the system. And multiply that by the number of kids going to college, and you can see why the wait list becomes very tricky.
0: Yeah, it does. It really does. I I have to say, I wish that I was one of those students that only applied to a few schools and knew. Oh, I how actually, many did you apply to? I actually hand-wrote 16 applications. Wow. Because I was so afraid that I was not going to get in anywhere. I had... I know this is a little tiny digression, but I had a teacher who told me I wouldn't amount to anything. So I felt like I had to prove something and apply to all these colleges. I'm just like, oh, my God, no one's going to accept me. But it worked out. <laughs> it's a lot wow. of worry for nothing. <laughs> wow. Well,
1: and I think that's the message that we like to say to kids, and I'm mm-hmm. sure you say this in your practice too, is that there's a college out there for everyone. Sure, he and, and there's only 200 colleges that are selective. There are 3,000 colleges that you can walk right in. And of those 200 selective colleges, most of them take over 50% of their applicants.
0: Exactly. That is so true.
1: Yeah. So I think we're trying, our our vision at Challenge Success is to really calm the kids and the parents down about the process and say, you know what, right. this can be a really positive process. This can be one of the best times of your life. It doesn't exactly. have to be the most stressful because you're showcasing yourself and you're going to find the right fit out there.
0: Exactly, yeah. and And I think, you know, that's a you know, very uh, key to bring up is that there are a lot of colleges out there that could be a good fit, and it's not just those few selective colleges that accept 10% of all the students because there, there are about 3,500 colleges out there. But exactly. we focus all of our attention on just the brand names. And right. so it's really important to reach outside of that and look at all the great options that are out there. Absolutely, so, Denise, what are some of the signs of stress that parents should be aware of? Well, first of all, you kind of know in your
1: gut when something doesn't feel right in your family, and we do ask parents to trust their gut. But things to look for would be chronic headaches, stomach aches. We've had young kids diagnosed with ulcers. We've had kids who are so sleep-deprived. Um, sleep is a very big thing that we talk about, and if your kid is absolutely exhausted when you're waking them up in the morning for school. If they're not mm-hmm. getting adequate sleep, you know, a high schooler needs nine hours of sleep or more a night, which having a high school daughter, I know how hard that is to make sure they get that rest. But Especially got, with
0: texting and all kinds of other technology. And media, is.
1: Exactly. So we've got, uh, in our study, uh, our average amount of sleep for our high school students is so just over six hours. So when you're in a state of sleep deprivation, you shouldn't even be driving a vehicle, you know, let alone trying to go to school and study and do well on tests. So I would say look for sleep deprivation. Look for um, kids who really don't want to go to school, who are listless, who they're for uh, at least a period of two weeks or longer, are doing some real mood changes. They're sad. They don't want to get out of bed. Um, Those could be signs, actually, of of a more serious case of depression. So -hmm. you want to take a look at, you know, a real change in either grades, mood, uh, eating habits, uh, friendships, or the way the kids are dressing, something that kind of alerts you, this does not seem right. Um, And that Mm -hmm. could be a sign as well.
0: Wow. Okay. That's a lot there. That's a lot yeah. there. Now, what are some of the things on the horizon for Challenge Success? You started, you know, I mean, the impetus for it was your book and the research findings there. And where does it go from here? What are some things you have on the horizon?
1: Well, we we used to- spend uh, sort of the majority of our time working with schools, and we still find that that's a very important piece of our work, helping Mm -hmm. schools recognize that the schedule that they have of seven periods a day that are 42 minutes long is not allowing the kind of Academic preparation that we want the kids to have, the kind of creative out of the box thinking that we want to foster, um, but it's also not allowing kids to be healthy and it's causing stress so we still are continuing to work with schools. We have a big conference coming up on September thirtieth in Memorial Auditorium at Stanford um, that they can your listeners can go to our website and learn more, but that's open to the public so that happens. Every year, we work with a bunch of new schools, and what we're starting to launch in the fall is an online parent ed course, which we're very excited about.
0: This really, say geared... more about that. Uh huh.
1: Sure. We're... the course is geared for parents of of younger kids, elementary and middle school age, and it really helps them through. Everything from how to deal with homework, how to talk about grades, how to handle the media overload, you know, uh, how appropriate is it for your young kids to be playing with these video games. We handle extracurricular issues, you know, sports, how, how to prevent overuse injuries in young kids. So we cover a wide range of topics that really help you define your role as a parent and um, give you very practical advice on, you know, how to handle day-to-day scenarios.
0: Well, I have one for you. What about sure. the age at which you get a cell phone? That is my a great daughter process. is in fourth grade, and she sees that her older brother has one, so she wants a cell phone. She doesn't have one yet, but
1: right. what do you so say we, to
0: parents who have that question? <laughs> we
1: have that same conversation in my family, as you can imagine. So, um <laughs> The rule of thumb that we talk about is, is there an, it's a need versus a want is a good way to frame this. And, of course, mm-hmm. there's not one size fits all, so I can't say everyone at right. age 12, you know. <laughs> but what you can say is, is there a need? Um, do you have a kid uh-huh. who's walking home alone who may, you may need to reach and make sure that they're okay? Is there, are, do you have a kid who you have to reach and say, I'm not going to be picking you up today? Those kinds of things may indicate a need for a cell phone as opposed to a want. Um, yes. The other thing is when it becomes you know, socially um, an issue when they don't have one, and that's mm-hmm. usually in the middle school years. Um, m- many kids are getting cell phones now, what we're finding in middle school, fewer kids in elementary school, and yeah. this idea of this is how these kids communicate now. They text, mm-hmm. um, they call each other. The cell phone becomes sort of like the telephone of the past, right? So. Right. I don't know about you, but I was on the phone, you know, with a lot of different kids when I was in middle school. That's sort of your social network. Oh, yeah. And, and now that sort of phone, you know, being on the phone all the time has switched to being on the cell phone all the time and texting. So it really is par- part of how they learn to be social. So I would say it's something to definitely consider uh, with a middle schooler, with an elementary schooler, if there's a need, you may want to do it. And even in middle school, you need to talk about um, limits. So one of the rules that we encourage, and certainly is a rule in my house, is there's no cell phones in the bedroom at night. Mm -hmm. And that is because a lot of parents don't realize that their kids are texting at 1 o'clock in the morning instead of sleeping. And even if their kid doesn't initiate it, the little bells and whistles and vibrations could go off, and it's just too tempting. So Mm -hmm. uh, we encourage all technology in the bedroom um, to come out at night, laptops, iPods, you know, uh, phones. And the other thing that we always encourage is no televisions at all in the bedrooms. You want to have televisions and computers as much as possible yeah. in public places so that you see what's going on and you have that interaction in your child's life.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to have to use that one. No technology at night, no phones at night. We don't have any... We only have one TV, and that's in the family room. But I had to find out the hard way when I looked at my Verizon bill and saw mm. that my son had over 1,000 texts in one month, and some of them were oh. in the wee hours of the morning. And I'm thinking, like, who could you be texting that late at night? <laughs> so, Ouch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So one last question um, that I have, and this is probably the most challenging question for so many of My families and certainly myself as well, you mentioned earlier about, you know, having children in high school, junior high and elementary and just balancing that. But, you know, with parents, I think every parent wants, you know, their child to do well. And how do you balance that without encouraging more stress or placing more stress on your child? Again, we
1: come down to you have to know your kid. There are children Mm -hmm. who are trying their hardest, who are really applying themselves and putting the effort in. And when a parent says, you didn't get a good grade, you just got to try harder, it's really devastating to the kid.
0: Then there's kids
1: who really aren't putting it all in. They're kind of watching a lot of TV, not really taking things seriously. And they may need a little bit of, you know, encouragement. But the the key here is you have to know your kid, and you have to realize that just making it through the day-to-day world of middle school and high school is so hard in and of itself. To keep it together, yeah. to stay quiet, uh, you know, for all that time, to listen, to pay attention, to deal with your friends and your changing body and all that's going on, when you add the academic pressure on top of it, it's amazing that we have so many kids who actually survive and make it through. So I think as a parent, you know, I err much more on the side of let the kid be the kid. Really don't put the pressure on around grades. Make it much more about effort. Make it much more about the love of learning. And usually when they're motivated in that way, they end up doing better
0: anyway. That's a Great note. (laughs) Thank you so much, Denise. Um, I want to ask you if you can just share with our listeners again how they can stay connected with your work. Sure. So we have a website at Challenge Success, which is
1: www.challengesuccess.org. It's got a lot of information on there about our upcoming conferences. We'll have our parent classes advertised there as well, and a lot of research um, that can help you uh, communicate to your schools as well.
0: Okay. Excellent. Thank you so much, Denise. We have some great shows coming up for you on the Education Doctor Radio and we'll continue to bring information that's both strategic and practical for educational success. Please listen to our announcement on how you can stay connected with us.